coming back, and it's, uh, I tell you, man, this trip, both my wife and I, you know, usually on vacation, you don't want to leave, but we could not wait to get back to California. Yeah. <laughs> Nine, it grows on you, yeah. <laughs> and then you can never leave. <laughs> I think there's a song about that. <laughs> anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> Ninety-five degrees is something we're all quite accustomed to. What we're not accustomed to is 70% humidity. Oh my goodness, I thought my lungs were going to cave in. How's everybody doing? Who went on the rafting trip? And I don't ever get in water where I can't see the bottom. <laughs> I don't know what y'all are crazy, but we got... <laughs> You felt the bottom, yeah. <laughs> There's a, here we go. Man, they did it. Right on. <clears throat> See, that, I would be the guy sitting on the back there, way above everybody. Or is he the steerer? Is he the guide? Oh, no. He wouldn't want me there. <laughs> oh, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church and bringing us back safely. Uh, God, I pray this morning that we'd all get real, we'd all uh, come together and gather around the Word of God, and uh, each one of us would find just maybe that one thing where we're going to be having a private conversation with you about, uh, about something you want to show us, something you want to speak to us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Going back to Michigan, you know, brought up some memories, and one of the ones I was thinking of as I was thinking of this particular message was... I remember when I was a kid, I had read a story about someone who could move objects with their mind, right? Uh, I don't know, it's probably not true, but, you know, somebody who a glass would be on the table, right? It would, and the glass would just start moving across, telekinesis. And so I got around my friends, and I said, hey, man, have you heard about this, this guy that moves a glass on a table? And they all look at me, and they're like, yeah, we've all done that too. And I go, Wow, that's amazing, you know. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm just buying into this hook, line, and sinker. And they're like, "Hey, Tom, come on over to the table. We'll teach you how to do it." Uh, gullible is my middle name. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm getting there on the table, and and they got a glass of water down there, and they're like, "All right, Tom, become one with the water." So I'm just <laughs> like, "Tom, you have to see through the water." <laughs> Tom, you got to lift one eyebrow up. <laughs> now I'm staring at this thing, and I'm staring at this thing, and all of a sudden, one of my friends goes, it moved, it moved, I saw it move, I saw it move, and everybody was like in on this. You know, yeah, yeah, it moved, it moved, it moved. And I'm going, wow, I got some power. Isn't that amazing? Man, if I could move glass, I could be like Yoda and move my car over there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a trip with this thing. But the glass never moved. Come on. We all know it didn't move. I know it didn't move. But at the moment, you know, it kind of awakened something in me that was a hunger and a craving for the supernatural. I think we all have it. We all want to kind of, I don't know, at one point in our lives, work a miracle. 
And we get that craving so much, we really begin to try to find it. I don't talk about this much. I don't want to glorify it. But just to give you an example of sometimes how fruitless those efforts can be when I was younger, I began to get involved in drug abuse, substance abuse, getting high. And, uh, and actually, you know, a lot of people find supernatural experience through drug abuse. And for those of you who have ever gotten high or done that, you, you, you might know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, don't try it. ain't worth it. <laughs> but I remember once I was sitting down with a friend of mine. And I, I say this respectfully. Please don't take this the wrong way. I was sitting down with a friend of mine, and we were going to get high together. And uh, he is already high. I was starting. I mean, I was getting ready to get high. He was already there. And all of a sudden, he starts going, <laughs> and he starts going like this. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, you know? And he's just like, and I, I mean, he was just completely wigging out. And I, I put my hand on him and said, what is going on? He's like, don't you see it? Don't you see it bouncing all around the room? Don't I see what bouncing all around the room? That little red dot on the 7-Up can. It just leaped off the can, and now it's bouncing all around the room. You know what I'm talking about? The little red dot that separates the seven and the up? Yeah, you've never seen it like that, huh? And you know what? Neither, neither did I. The fact is, when I looked at that can, that red dot was there. It never moved. That experience wasn't real. He was hallucinating. He was tripping off acid. It wasn't real. He wasn't having a real supernatural experience, to be honest with you, neither was I. That was a bit of a turning point for me as I looked at that can and realized, man, this is just fake. But the hunger's there. That's why we're not just smart monkeys, because a monkey doesn't care about a miracle. It cares about its next meal. But we, somewhere deep inside us, we know that we're something more than a smart monkey. We know that we're something more than the sum of our parts. Something binds us together that's powerful and beautiful all at the same time. I think deep down, many of us know that. The great thing is God has an answer to that. God has an answer to drugs. God has an answer to all that. It's called the Holy Spirit. If you have an experience with the power of the Holy Spirit, It'll change your life forever. That is one of the gifts that God wants to give us. The gift of a supernatural experience. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I know some of you are thinking we're halfway there. Actually, we're more than that. We've skipped ahead and round and, and uh, we're, we're cruising right through Matthew. And so for those of you who have your discussion guides and all that, We've only got a few more of those to go. But uh, heading over to verse 22. The context of this is Jesus has just fed thousands of people miraculously with a few loaves and some fish. And they liked that miracle. Who wouldn't? I mean, they were eating. They were full. They were having a great time. And so they come to Jesus and they say, you're a man. You're a man of miracles. You're the Messiah. Let's make you king. I mean, let's make you king right now. 
Jesus, seeing their intention, refuses to. He sends the disciples off in a boat, and he retreats to a mountainside to pray. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone. Jesus was all alone, presumably on a beach somewhere, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. The disciples did what Jesus asked. They went out into the lake. But the waves began to break upon it, and the wind was against the boat. Shortly before dawn, what other translations and other things call the fourth watch of the night, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on water, Matthew says they were afraid. And Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter, I love Peter. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out and walk on water. You got I mean, to give the guy some points for golf. Then Peter got down out of the boat and check it out. Because there are people who dispute this. Look what Matthew wrote. Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water. But when he saw the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you have little faith, why do you doubt? And verse 33, which is not in there, then those who were in the, I'm sorry, verse 32, they climbed into the boat, the wind dies down. Verse 33, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him. Catch it, folks. Those 12 men now got on their knees in a drenched wooden boat. And that wooden boat reeked of dried bait and decaying fish, right? And rusty hooks and nets. It wasn't uh, a nice, hopefully nice, smelling church like this. It was a nasty boat going up and down in a lake with decaying fish all over it. And in the midst of that setting, they looked up at Jesus and they said, You really are God's son. You really are the Son of God. You really are. And they worshiped him. It's hard to tell exactly what happened that night. Four Gospels are somewhat tell it differently. Mark's Gospel, he paints kind of a gloomy picture of these faithless disciples. Matthew's is really the brightest story which they all kneel down and declare Jesus as the Son of God. John kind of gives the cliff notes. Uh, Jesus walked on water, climbed in the boat, the wind died down, boom. And Luke skips the story altogether. But the interesting thing about this account is it almost leaves more questions than answer. For example, why ask the disciples to shove out in the middle of the lake at night when they don't have to? Another thing, why... Did Jesus say to go across the lake when their true destination, Bethsaida, was way far to the north? 
Why did the disciples call him a ghost? You know why? I think it's because of this. You see, they know who he is, but they didn't really know who he is. I think that's a lot of that for us. I know I have to say that often. Jesus, I know who you are, but I don't really know who you are. You're much more. And this whole event shook what they thought they knew of Jesus. And then, of course, the fourth thing, why wait until the fourth watch of the night to come out them? If you've ever talked to a sailor or you've ever talked to somebody who works on the ocean or on the Great Lakes or something like that, they'll tell you that the fourth watch of the night is the scariest watch of the night. It's that time between three and six when the moon is most likely set and it's really dark. The water looks black and the waves just kind of beat against the boat. And your mind begins to play tricks on you. You begin to see phantom ships drifting in the night towards your boat. You go, oh! Or you begin to look and the waves begin to seem breaking against rocks that aren't there. Or maybe there's land ahead, but you're not quite sure. The wind begins to whistle. You begin to hear voices in the whistling wind. So what do you do? You shake your head, go make yourself a peanut butter sandwich, and you look straight ahead. Keep your eye. <laughs> I haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> and you look straight ahead. Because the fourth watch of the night is often a scary watch of the night. You row and you row and you row straight to your destination because the lurking shadows in your peripheral vision begin to play tricks on your mind. And then, all of a sudden, for no reason, you decide to take the risk and you look to your left and behold, you see a man walking on water who here wouldn't reasonably say, that must be a ghost. My face is going to turn red now, isn't it? <laughs> it must be a ghost. Nobody walks on water. Jesus doesn't belong out there. If Jesus is going to be anywhere, he's going to be in the boat, not outside the boat. She's going to wash her eyes. You're completely freaked out by this. There's only one problem. It's not a ghost. Jesus is walking on water. calls us to come outside the boat and walk with him. So this morning, and I submit to you, sometimes this story angers me because I, I can picture those disciples in the boat. Man, Jesus is the one who got us into this mess. God's the one who said, shove off and go to your destination. And sometimes in life, we can get that too. God, you said to live life like this, and God, you said to do this, and now I'm mad because there's waves breaking against the boat, the waves of life that are scaring me and freaking me out. I'm upset. I'm here because of you. Where are you? I don't even know if I like you right now. And you come walking on water. I don't want you to walk on water. I want you to bring the Titanic here. Not the Titanic. I want you to bring a boat that won't sink here to save me <laughs> it's the hundredth year i've seen a lot of tv sh anyway <laughs> but see if you look under point number one jesus deliberately sent them out in the boat he knew it was going to go down he wanted to test their faith faith is tested everybody's the life 
of faith is inherently a life of risk. And all followers of God depend upon it. Look in the Bible. Look at the men and women of the Bible. Noah builds an ark in the middle of a village where there's no water. Abraham leaves his comfortable tribe and goes to a land he doesn't know why on faith. Moses takes on the greatest political power of the ancient world and wins. How? By faith. Joshua takes his army around a city with walls of Jericho that are 35 feet thick. People live in them, and they fall. Esther was one of the most beautiful Jewish women ever recorded in Scripture, and yet she could have had her head chopped off if when she went into the presence of the king, he didn't raise his scepter. Her life depended on whether he raised his arm or not. Tell me that those people aren't risk-takers. In fact, for many of us, Western, reasonable, cultural Americans, when we have our nice conservative 401ks or, you know, whatever, these kinds of people would make sense to us. They take the kind of risks we would say, that's unreasonable, that's unnecessary. Let's be sensible about this. And yet these people were anything but sensible because they knew that a life of faith, at some points, had risk. I'm not saying you throw all sense and sensibility out the window. Don't get that. But that there are times when God says, climb out of the boat. Climb out of the boat. Second thing I want to talk about. Faith is a reactionary response, not a response to a reaction. You may look at that sentence and say, what in the world do you mean? It means this. Peter did not have a lot of time when he was sinking, right? He didn't have a lot of time to think about what he was going to say in prayer. He just said what came to him right in the moment, Lord, save me, right? And, you, and there's beauty in that. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but stuff in my life begins to hit the fan and go all over the place. And I, I mean, I, my first reaction is always prayer. I'm, I'm getting down. I'm writing my pros and cons. I'm looking at my wallet. I'm thinking of people to call to help me. And, and, and sometimes my wife is like, have you prayed about that yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. But I will after I try to take care of it myself. And I think many of us are like that. If Peter would have done what I do, he would have drowned in the Sea of Galilee, now wouldn't he? Because sometimes in those moments of life, it's the quick reactive response in prayer. And I really admire the people who live life like that. I am trying to gain that skill where when things happen, Lord, I just pray for this right now. Jesus, I need you right now. I remember once my Mustang was falling down a cliff. And I'm all freaking out trying to pull the car up by myself. And I look back and I see the other youth pastor going, Jesus, help us quickly. And I'm thinking, don't pray. Get over here and help me pull. <laughs> he did pay for the tow truck, so that was. <laughs> There's something about faith where we respond and react in prayer. It's like a habit we form. It's, it's something that God does in us. That he's so close. And so powerful that when everything starts going down, God, I need you now, man. Save me. Save me out of this mess. Sometimes I think our relationship with God is hindered because we think we have to come off with these long two, three-page prayers in order to be close to God. 
You don't. You don't see very many long recorded prayers in the Bible. These were people who simply communicated with God several times throughout the day. God, I, I need you to help me here. God, I thank you for that. God, I praise you for this. Jesus, thanks for a wonderful view. Man, look at that. It's amazing. Sometimes I get caught up in that. I think, oh, man, I only prayed just a few minutes today. You know, I don't think it's measured in that. I think it's measured that when it comes to faith, do we call upon the Lord or do we trust in ourselves? First, I know for me that's something I'm trying to cross over to more. Third thing, faith in Christ should counteract fear or doubt. I love Jesus is not rebuking Peter for attempting too much. He doesn't get in a boat and say, Peter, what a dumb thing you just did. Don't you realize I am God, I walk on water, you are a person you don't. Jesus never said that. Jesus rebukes Peter not because he attempted too much, but that he trusted too little. And for some of us, we don't attempt as much as we could in our faith. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, our trust is too little. It's as if we are all like those 11 disciples with their hands gripping the side of the boat. All 11 of them. Remember, there's waves coming. They're not just sitting there like this. They've got their hands on the boat. Whoa, whoa. And they're gripping. Man, this storm is, oh. And they've got their hands firmly grasped. And then you got Jesus walking out there saying, let go. Come on out. Keep your eyes on me. And you could walk across the Atlantic Ocean and not sink. What kind of God is that? You see, we know him. We don't really know him. Defies our sensibilities and calls us to receive a gift of something greater, something supernatural, beyond our doubts and fears in the realm of faith and faith alone. text reminds us that not only does Christ control the storm, but he often reveals himself in the midst of the storm. That often our purest vision of Christ will come in the storms of life, even though they threaten to capsize us. And what God is saying is, loosen that grip a little bit. Everything in us says, no way am I letting go of this boat. I mean, I might be able to swim, but I can't scale a 30-mile lake. Come on. Point four there. Faith in Christ opens up our hands to receive from God. You know why God wanted them to let go? They're, they're holding on to that boat. They're holding on to the sides. They're gripping. They're gripping. They're gripping. And God says, you know what? You've already got something in your hands. Let go, open your hands this way, and receive something incredible. Receive something supernatural. Receive something powerful. I'm not going to lie to you. I am probably much more like the 11 disciples. I grip and I hold. 
there's something that's bothered me about this story. When I did some research on it, I was angered by a lot of the commentators, obviously Protestant commentators, and they were just really railing against Peter. Oh, Peter's so prideful, and oh, Peter just wanted to be the leader, and oh, Peter just wanted to show the other disciples up, and oh, Peter this, and oh, Peter that. And they actually interpret this story as a negative against Peter. Jesus was trying to stick it to Peter. And every commentary I read that went that route, I remember thinking to myself, that commentator probably still has their hands on the boat. They've probably never experienced walking on water themselves. I give Peter a lot of credit. He's done something no man has ever done. One was a man. One was God. One came out changed. One received praise. It's the simplest interpretation of the story. When I was younger, I was, I was a new youth pastor. You know, you go to camps and retreats, you always hear these stories about these great miracles that happened to these pastors or these people or these speakers. You know, and I, I remember thinking, God, I want one of those. You know, I want one of those stories where I can say, oh my goodness, I was praying for this guy. He levitated 12 feet in the air and he was just doing spit. I mean, it was amazing. So I remember I was like, <laughs> sticking my chops. God, I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer. I want a miracle. I want one now. I want one soon. I'm hungry for it. I'm ready for it. God, I am ready for it. Bring it. Let it come. And so over the course of time, I was having lunch at Coco's, which I found out from the last service, we have one here in Bakersfield. <laughs> I have been here two years, you think, you know. And, uh, and I was sitting at Coco's, and I was you know, buying some breakfast or something for the people I was with. And when it was over, uh, as always in those days, I, I paid for the thing. And so they went out to their car, and I was sitting there all alone at the table waiting for the check. And as I was waiting for the check, I looked about 15 feet in front of me, and in another booth were these two ladies. And uh, I wouldn't have believed this if it hadn't happened to me. But I had just felt, and it wasn't an audible voice, but the Lord had kind of downloaded into my heart. Tom, go offer to pray for the woman on the right, and great things will happen. Not, I'll heal her. Not, I mean, it wasn't that specific. It was just, go pray for that woman on the right, and great things will happen. And I knew what it was. It was that miracle moment. It's what I've been ready for, right? And of course... I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, my heart begins to pound. You ever feel that when you know you ought to do something, but you're just kind of scared? And all of a sudden, my breathing got really labored. And, oh, my God. God, you don't realize that if I'm not hearing you right, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're, they're going to think I'm one of those Christians. They're going to, oh, my gosh, I just don't want to. I mean, one of the guys came in and like, hey, Tom, you're coming. I'll be right there. <laughs> I can barely talk because my heart is just beating. Here's the moment that I had always prayed for, staring me right in the face. In fact, the woman even looked over and smiled at me. 
She was a much older woman, by the way. I know what some of you are thinking. Much older woman. None of that was going on. So I knew I could probably go over there and even strike up conversation. I could have played it safe. So you know what I did? I got up. And I walked right out of the restaurant. I was too scared. Too scared of what people might think. Too scared I was wrong. But I just know that I know that I know. I mean, it just wasn't something I thought of. It just hit me like that. I knew I was supposed to pray for that woman. I didn't even know for what. That something great was going to happen. And I went home that night filled with regret. Because God had offered me a gift. And yet I, like the other 11 disciples, was clutching that boat. The waves as scary as they were, seemed more comfortable than hopping my feet over the other side and walking on water. Perhaps for some of you, you feel the same way. When you begin to think about that particular gift, oh, there's other gifts we're going to talk about this summer. Gift of identity, gift of provision, those are kind of easy, easier. When it comes to this, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? I read a book where it said our faith is tested so that we can be trusted by God. Come on, does God really trust us? Would you trust you? I wouldn't trust me with the kingdom of God. I think that our faith is tested so that we can trust it. God already knows all things, but we don't. And that day, I didn't pass that test. Walked away in fear. I didn't trust my faith as much as I had proclaimed I was ready to. Since then, I've had other opportunities. But that's not my point this morning. My point is, how many of us, like me, are like those 11 disciples, gripping the side of the boat when Jesus is out there walking on the water, saying, let go. I have a gift I want to give you. Only you have to have your hands free to take it. Kick your feet out off the other side and walk across the Pacific Ocean all the way to Japan. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, this morning, Lord, we're challenged because we know for you to even exist, it's supernatural. And yet, God, so often, our world seems so natural. We look for things that have an equation for everything or a puzzle piece that perfectly fits. And then you send us out in a boat and you don't show up till the fourth watch of the night to show us that not everything about life is a nicely fitting puzzle piece. Not every day and not often, but it seems from the Gospels that there were times where you defied the natural order to remind us that 
you are a supernatural God and that as human beings made in the image of God, we are supernatural beings. And so God, I want to pray this morning for the discouraged. God, for those who, who are gripping that boat so tight because of fear or doubt or weak faith. God, I pray they'd see a new vision of you walking on water. This is the kind of message where it's going to mean something different for everybody. Everybody's gripping something for a different reason. God, show us those reasons. Help us to receive and inherit a better life. A life of faith, not fear. I'd like to make an invitation. It's a very simple one, but if you want to get outside that boat, just get your hands off the side of that boat and hop on over onto the water. Whether this is for the first time or for the thousand and first, I invite you to just say it with me. You can say it under your breath. You don't have to say it loud. Jesus, help me in my faith. Save me in my fears. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. Help me to receive your peace. Heavenly Father, I pray now. pray, God, for that peace. Let it rest on us this morning. Not waves, not storms, but standing in the middle of the ocean. God, as long as we have our eyes on you, we will not sink. announcement I forgot, and this is an important one. Ken, if you could stand up for a sec. We are 95% done with our new wing over there. Amen. And by the way, we are debt-free on the whole thing, and so we've been patient. We do not owe a dime on it, but we're only 95% done. We are hoping to bang out one last work part. You know, it's always in the finished work, right? 
the little sliver of paint here, the little thing. So I'm asking with all my heart. Ken's got a sign-up sheet. The first service, they represented well. We're twice what they are. And so I'm asking for a man or woman, uh, especially some women if you know how to do wallpaper. We're having a bit of a hang-up because everybody forgot from the 80s how to hang up wallpaper. <laughs> and so uh, if, you, if you can remember how to do that, we need some help there. But Ken's got a sign-up sheet this Tuesday night from 5.30 to 8.30. You may say, why do we need a sign-up sheet? Because I'm buying pizza, and I need to know how many to buy for. And so uh, if you could raise your hand right now and say, you know what, I can make it on Tuesday you know, 5.30 to whatever, and uh, then we can get your name on there, and we know what we can count on, and hopefully we can get all our projects done. We'll call the city, get final inspection, we'll get in that thing and start having some fun. Amen? Amen. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing, Dan, come on up here for a sec. Dan's got a sign-up sheet. I'm going to make the announcement real quick. We are doing an outreach to the juvenile hall in downtown Bakersfield, and... Dan needs your name and your social security number, right? Don't worry, he's not going to open credit cards. <laughs> He'll destroy it. Uh, I've given him my social security number so many times now that, you know, there's probably five Tom Nackies out there for all I know. But, uh, but anyway, uh, if you would like to go, and we'd love to have, you know, 40 people from our church go. Uh, and, and, and this is, I mean, this is what we do. This is part of what we do as Christians. We go and we serve those whom don't always get served or don't always get loved. We, serve, step, outside we step outside the boat. That's right. Get your hands off the boat. It's a good application. You were listening. <laughs> I don't think anybody listens. <laughs> oh. That's why I shout. No, I'm just kidding. Um, did I miss anything? All right, so please come and see Dan. And What? Date. Oh, it's August 11th. August 11th, right? That is a Saturday, yeah. Saturday, August 11th.